Welcome to the Come Follow Me podcast for teens and for parents of teens, a podcast to supplement your weekly study of the Come Follow Me curriculum with thoughts, ideas, principles, stories, and questions all geared towards helping teenagers better follow Christ through their teenage years. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another week of the Come Follow Me podcast for teens. I'm Josh Downs, and today's episode is going to be episode 13, based on the chapters Matthew chapter 13 and Luke chapters 8 and 13, with the theme for these chapters being, Who hath ears to hear, let him hear. We got another great week of material to get into this week. Before we do, just another quick reminder as you go through your personal study this week to make sure you're looking for those three things that kind of mention every week, which is one, how does this particular lesson or these scriptures that I'm reading, this story, how does it bear testimony of Christ, who he is and what he can do? Uh, Second is what principles have I come across or can I see in these stories or that are taught through scripture to help guide me in my own life that I can take and apply to the things that I'm experiencing now in my life? And lastly, what character traits of Christ can I see in him and those that follow him? Again, if we are going to come follow him the best that we possibly can, we need to be able to see who he is and what he does and the character that defines him so that we can better emulate that character and develop that character and grow that character in ourselves. Remembering to make sure to focus on those three things I really believe can help you get the most out of your study each week. I want to start this week's study just by asking a question for you to consider, and that is, has God ever helped you to find something? (laughs) I think most of us could probably answer yes. I think we've, uh, many of us, if not all, have had experiences where we've lost something or we needed to find something or get somewhere or needed help with something we couldn't do really on our own, and and God was there for us. He stepped in and, and helped those things to be found or to be discovered or to help us to get to where we needed to go. I don't know what comes to mind for you, but for me, let me share just one quick experience. And it was when I was really young, actually. I lost something that was very important to me. It was a little gun to one of my action figures. <laughs> I had a Bobo Fett, the Star Wars Bobo Fett action figure. That was one of my favorite toys, and he went everywhere with me. And he had a little black gun that would just kind of prop in his hand. And I remember at one point noticing that it was no longer there. Which, uh, I mean, what good is Bubble Fett without his gun? And I knew I, I, I had to have it. I needed to find it. But I had no idea where to look. I had played with him all over the house. It could have really fallen out at any point in time in any of those places. And it was so small. I really didn't think the chances of finding it would be very good. And I was, I was pretty distraught about it. I remember being taught, though, even at a very young age, that when we need help to find things or for anything, really, we can always turn to God and, and he can help us. And so as a young boy, I remember kneeling down in a quiet place and just asking for Heavenly Father to help me to find my Bobo Fett's action figure's gun. And I continued to look for it without any luck. But then I remember I just had a thought. A thought popped in my head. Did you look under the couch? And I remember I'd been playing there previously, but I thought I looked around there pretty good. However, I decided to go back up and look again, and I just felt like I needed to look under the couch. So I lifted up kind of the edge of the couch, and sure enough, right there where I was looking was my little action figure's gun. I was so grateful and appreciative of the help that I was given to find something like that, even when I was just a young boy. And I know it seems silly and it was small, but for me, 
that's always been one of those touch points I've been able to go back to, even later throughout my life as an adult, and be like, yes, God hears and answers prayers, and he can help us to see and to find what we can't see. And the reason that I bring this up is because all of us are going to need help (laughs) this week to be able to see things that we may not be able to see, to find things that we may not be able to find on our own. Because this week we're going to be taking a look at some of the parables that the Savior taught. And this seemed to be one of his favorite ways to teach was through parables. And parables are typically metaphors or analogies or stories that contain so much more than just what they seem to have on the surface. And in order for us to really understand what is being taught in these principles, we need the Spirit's help to be able to do that. We need God's help to be able to understand them which is one of the reasons why the Savior, typically after these parables, would say things like, He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. And so prior to your study each week, but especially this week, I would encourage you to take a little bit of time to ask Heavenly Father to help you to find and to see what you need to see for your life personally as it relates to these parables. Now I wanted to start by first just getting some of the context around the chapters this week straight from our curriculum which reads, some of the Savior's most memorable teachings were in the form of simple stories called parables. These are more than just interesting anecdotes about ordinary objects or events. They contain profound truths about the kingdom of God for those who are spiritually prepared. One of the first parables recorded in the New Testament, the parable of the sower, invites us to examine our readiness to receive God's word. For whosoever receiveth, Jesus declared, to him shall be given and he shall have more abundance. So as we prepare to study the Savior's parables or any of his teachings, a good place to start is to examine our hearts and determine whether we are giving the Word of God good ground in which to grow, blossom, flourish, and produce fruit that will bless us and our families in abundance. So with that, let's first begin by turning to Matthew chapter 13, and we're going to take a look at the very first parable that he uh, mentions in there, which is, again, the parable of the sower. And we'll start in verse 1 and just kind of read through the parable itself. As we go through this, the things that I would invite you to mark are the four types of ground that the Savior refers to here. And so starting in verse 1, Matthew records, The same day Jesus went out of the house and sat by the seaside, and great multitudes were gathered together unto him, so that he went into a ship and sat, and the whole multitude stood on the shore. And he spake many things unto them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went forth to sow. Now, first time I heard this parable, I have to admit, in my mind as a young person, I pictured a person with a needle and thread <laughs> sewing. Um, that's not what's being talked here. And I just want to make sure to clarify that. When the Savior talks about a sower, he's talking about a person that is planting seed, much like a, a farmer. And, and to sow seed means to plant seed. So I just want to clarify that in case any of you were like me when I was young and like, what are we talking about here? It, it was very confusing to me at the beginning. But in verse 4, he says, And when he sowed or planted some seeds, fell by the wayside, and the fowls came and devoured them up. Some fell among stony places where they had not much earth, and forthwith they sprung up because they had no deepness of earth. And when the sun was up, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprung up and choked them. But other fell into good ground and brought forth fruit, some a hundredfold, some sixtyfold, and some thirtyfold. 
And now the four types of ground that you should have marked there would have been something about the wayside, the stony places, the type of ground where there were thorns, and then the good ground. And the thing I would invite you to consider is how do each of these types of ground relate to the human heart? Now, because this parable is so important in, for all of us to be able to better understand how to receive God's word, the Savior took the time to clarify exactly what he meant by this parable. So if you'll go a, a few verses over to verse 18, here's his interpretation or explanation of it. He says in verse 18, Hear ye therefore the parable of the sower. Now the thing that I would invite you to mark here is his explanation of it. What does each type of ground mean as it relates to a person's heart and their ability to receive the word? Verse 19 he says, When one heareth the word of the kingdom and understandeth it not, then cometh the wicked one and catcheth away that which was sown in his heart. This is he which receives seed by the wayside. Verse 20, but he that received the seed into stony places, the same as he that heareth the word, and anon with joy receiveth it. Yet he hath not root in himself, but dureth for a while. For when tribulation or persecution ariseth because of the word, by and by he is offended. And he also that receives seed among the thorns is he that heareth the word, and the care of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and he becometh unfruitful. But he that receives seed unto the good ground is he that heareth the word and understandeth it, which also beareth fruit, bringing forth some an hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. Now, at this point, I invite you to pause for just a moment and have a brief discussion, maybe journal a little bit, about some of the ways in which the Savior is teaching that a human heart may not receive God's word. What are some of the things that can keep a person in a person's heart from being open to receiving his word? and allowing it to grow and develop and take root and eventually bring forth fruit in them. And maybe discuss a little bit how might things like distraction or pride or the cares of the world or challenges and trials and even persecution keep us from receiving his word. And really one of the big takeaways that I hope that you'll have after reading and studying and, and even discussing this particular parable is to begin to look at the human heart as soil for receiving seed in God's word and the difference between having a hard heart and a soft heart and what are the kinds of things we can do to always keep our hearts soft and pliable and open to being able to receive God's word as a great cross-referencing verse let me give you one that you can write next to these verses which is Alma chapter 62 verse 41 where Alma records after all of the wars that had happened in the war chapters that many of the Nephites' hearts had become hardened, but also many of them had become softened. And I think the thing that this particular verse teaches and points out is that people can experience the very same things. They all experienced the war chapters, but some hearts were hardened because of it while others were softened. And it's worth discussing, what do you think the difference is? What causes one heart to become hardened while another one becomes softened? And if you want a personal example of this, look at the story of Nephi and his family, right? They all experienced the same thing. They were all um, required to leave their home to travel in the wilderness. They experienced the same kind of suffering and problems and challenges. Yet look at the difference between Nephite's heart and Laman and Lemuel's. Nephite's heart was always soft and pliable and open to receiving God's word and counsel and correction. Where Laman and Lemuel's 
was always a lot harder, and they struggled with being able to receive God's word, his counsel, and direction, and correction as well. And if you want some additional study that's really, really good that goes along with this perfectly, you can look at Alma chapter 32, where Alma compares faith to a seed. And one of the key concepts that's taught throughout this that particular chapter that relates so well to this is that if we will take the word of God and plant it into our hearts, make room for it, and then cultivate it and nurture it and take care of it and protect it and allow it to grow, allow it to take root, to help it through some of the hard and difficult things that at some point it will grow up into a tree and bring forth fruit to us. And it kind of teaches the idea that if we will nurture our faith, that one day our faith, when we need it most, will nurture us. And that's one of the reasons why this parable is so important, so imperative, is that there will be challenges, there will be trials, persecutions, hard things in life. And in order for us to really weather those storms, we need our faith to nurture us. But in order for it it to nurture us, we first need to nurture it. There's kind of a symbiotic relationship here between us and our faith. And, And I can attest to that because as I took the opportunity and have throughout my life to try to grow and nurture, cultivate and protect my faith, it absolutely is what has helped me to get through some of the most challenging, difficult moments of my life. Had I not done that, I'm really quite scared to think of where I might be now. So as a young person, I hope that you see the absolute importance and necessity that it is for you to keep your hearts always open and pliable and ready to receive God's word and nurture it as you grow throughout your life so that one day when you need it most, it will also nurture you. Now, one of the other things I might direct your attention to is back to Alma chapter 62, where it was where hearts were compared to, to some being soft, some being hard. If you look at verses 49 through 51, and just look for what are some of the things that the Nephites did at this point in time to keep their hearts softened. I think you'll have some great takeaways for how to keep your heart softened each and every day, especially when you go through hard things. There really is a lot of wonderful truths taught throughout that parable, and it always, always is a great reminder to kind of do a little self-check on our own hearts and to ask ourselves those kinds of questions, like what condition is my heart in now? Because it can really be so easy for a heart to become like uh, the ground of the wayside where because of distraction, we don't even receive God's word. Or because of persecution and trial and and heartache, uh, that we don't give place for God's word to really take hold. Or we allow it to wither and die. Or because of the cares of the world, it, it chokes out our faith. All those things are very easy to allow to have happen into our lives which is why it's so important to constantly check the condition of the ground or of our hearts. Now, shortly after that, the the Savior gives the parable of the wheat and the tares, but that's the one I really want to focus on today for our key principle. So we're going to bypass that one, and really the rest of the chapter are just comprised of very small, short principles and parables. There's the mustard seed parable, the the parable of the leaven, the, the parable of the hidden treasure and the pearl of great price, Uh, the parable of the net and the householder, all throughout chapter 13. And so I'd invite you to just finish reading that chapter and just mark anything that stands out to you in any of those parables. But maybe with this thought in mind in particular, the prophet Joseph Smith taught that the parables in Matthew 13 describe the growth and the destiny of the church in the latter days. And so as you read through these smaller parables, just keep that in mind. What does the parable of the mustard seed teach about the way in which the church will start and then grow? 
what does the parable of the hidden treasure and the pearl of great price teach about the value that is found in the church and in the gospel by and large? Or the net as it relates to missionary work and what we're currently doing to bring people into the gospel? So many great things that are interwoven in there that I know that you'll be able to find, especially under the direction of the Spirit. Um, but one of the things I wanted to end with is in Luke chapter 13. Luke chapter 8 is basically a retelling of those, those parables and those principles, so we won't take the time, obviously, to go over each one. It might be worth taking a little bit of time just looking for little minor differences and marking anything that, that stands out to you uh, as you go through both of those in comparison to each other. But there is a, a little event in Luke chapter 13, starting verse 10, that I would like to take a look at because I think it just teaches a, a great key principle. So if you'll turn to Luke chapter 10 with me, or sorry, Luke chapter 13, let's look at verse 10. And in this particular uh, experience, uh, starting in verse 10, we'll just go through and read this together. Um, Luke records, and he, Christ, was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. And behold, there was a woman which had a spirit of infirmity 18 years, and was bowed together, and could in no wise lift up herself. And when Jesus saw her, I would write a little CT above that, the, the Savior saw her, right, as he sees all of us. What a, he has that ability and that gift to see suffering, to see struggle, to recognize it, to not be too busy for it just a great character trait in the Savior, that he called her to him and said unto her, Woman, thou art loosed from thine infirmity. And he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight and glorified God. Now, I love that miracle One for several reasons. One, there's another example here of a healing taking place after teaching, right? We talked a little bit about that in previous uh, previous week's episode the need that God has, not just for more teachers, but for more healers, as Elder Holland kind of called all of us to, to become. But one of the things I love about this story in verse 10 is where it took place and when. He was teaching in one of the synagogues when? On the Sabbath. That's where he was meant to be. It was Sunday. He was at church. And I love that because he sets the example for us in all things, right? He was where he was supposed to be when he was supposed to be there. And young people, I know that may seem like just a little thing, but in many ways, that is everything. Because think about what might have been missed. If for whatever reason, a particular person that morning may have just thought to themselves, oh, I'm too tired to go to church today. I don't want to go. I'll go next week or I have something else going on instead. Think about what they would have missed had they not been where they were supposed to be when they were supposed to be there. There's great safety that can come to all of us, let alone great experiences and even miracles at times that can come to us by just simply following that practice of being where we're supposed to be when we're supposed to be there, even if we don't always want to be there, right? Um, one of my favorite quotes that goes along with that is from Elder Hales, Robert D. Hales, when he said, speaking of being there, each of us was there in the council in heaven to choose the great plan of happiness we now enjoy. When you have made a commitment to yourself, your family, your bishop, your employer, be there. When it's time to be in church or mutual or fulfilling an assignment, be there. When it is time to graduate from school or a training program, be there. When it is time to serve a mission, be there. When the young woman or man you love most kneels at the altar of God's holy temple, be there, and not as a witness. <laughs> when your family is gathered in the celestial kingdom, be there. 
When the Savior waits to greet you as you return with honor from your life on this earth, and your Heavenly Father wants to encircle you about in the arms of His love, be there. Such a great thought for all of us. Young people, make sure that you are where you're supposed to be when you're supposed to be there in all things, because by doing that, you won't miss anything. Now, I'd like to take the rest of the time today to really focus on the key principle that I wanted to with you young people. And and that's back in Matthew chapter 13. It's the parable of the wheat and the tares. So if you'll take a moment and just turn back there with me. We're going to look at verse 24 is where the Savior begins to to tell this, this parable. Verse 24 reads, and back in Matthew chapter 13, Another parable put he forth unto them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is likened unto a man which sowed good seed in his field. Again, planting good seed, right? But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. But when the blade was sprung up and brought forth fruit, then appeared the tares also. So the servants of the householder came and said unto him, Sir, didst thou not sow good seed in thy field? From whence then hath it tares? And he said unto them, An enemy hath done this. The servant said unto him, Wilt thou then that we go and gather them up? But he said, Nay, lest while ye gather up the tares, ye root up also the wheat with them. And then he says this, Let both, and I encourage you to mark this verse, Let both grow together until the harvest. And in the time of harvest, I will say to the reapers, Gather ye together the first, uh, first the tares, and bind them in bundles to burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. Now, to understand this parable, young people, you need to understand what a tear is. Okay, A tear is basically, according to the Bible dictionary, a poisonous weed. (laughs) It's not wheat, right? Which, however, when it comes into an ear or begins to be fully ripe, until that point, it's similar in in appearance to wheat. So it's basically a poisonous weed that looks very much like wheat, at least while it's young. Once it gets a little bit older, it's easier to tell the difference between wheat and and a tear. But while it's young and just growing, it's very hard to tell the difference between the two because they look so similar. Now, I want you to think about the application of this principle in your life and really in all of our lives. Because the truth is in life, there are things, there are places, there are people that can be either very wheat-like, very good for us, or very tear-like that can be very damaging and dangerous to us uh, physically, mentally, spiritually, all those kinds of things. And at times, it might be very difficult, especially for us that are in the middle of things, to be able to tell the difference between the two. Now, I know you think, ah, oh, I can always, it should be easy to tell the difference between what's right and wrong, what's good and evil, what's best for me and what is not good for me. But the scriptures make it very clear that in the last days, especially while young, it can be very hard to tell the difference. It's been foretold forever that in the last days, good would be seen as how? As evil. And evil would be seen as good. And tell me that we don't definitely see that taking place today. So again, it's not always easy to tell the difference, especially for you that are young, without the life experience that many of us as adults have. Now, in addition to that, I want you to think then about where the danger lies for you. Does the danger lie for you in seeing something or someone as wheat when they are in fact wheat? No, that's a good thing, right? We, we want you to see that. Okay, so is the danger in seeing someone or something as a tear when they are in fact a tear? 
No, again, that's, that's clear vision. That's clarity. We want you to see that as well. The danger for you comes in mistaking something or someone that is a tear for wheat and something or someone that is wheat-like but is really a tear. Is that making sense to you? Now, I want you to think about that for a moment. Maybe consider this question. What might be something bad for someone that they might see as good? Or what is something that is good for someone that they might see as bad? See, that's the danger. Now, I can't tell you how many times as a teacher I had students come to me and say things like, my friend just can't see that what they're doing is wrong. Or my friend just can't see that who they're with is changing them and not for the better. That my friend can't see that the choices that they're making are causing problems for them and others. This happens all the time. And it leads to a lot of pain, a lot of sorrow, and a lot of anguish that could, could be avoided if we were to, able to see clearly those things that are wheat as wheat and those things that are tares as tares, and then make the decisions to, of course, keep that which is wheat in our life and remove those that are tares, much like the Savior will do at, at one point in time uh, and is really doing in a lot of ways today that we'll, we'll reference in just a bit. But one of the best examples that I want to give you from the scriptures of this to kind of help you to see how easy it can be is the story of wicked King Noah and Abinadi. Now, if you're familiar with this story, back in the Book of Mormon, the back in the, the Book of Mosiah, that King Noah was very wicked. And he was supported by the priests and also by the people in that wickedness. And so the Lord sends Abinadi to try to warn them of impending destruction that would be coming if they didn't repent. Here was somebody that wanted what was best for them, cared about them, and was sent by God as a messenger of hope to help them to change and avoid some real painful things in their life. Well, now what did the people do with Abinadi? While he was teaching and preaching and trying to help them, they bound him and they took him captive and turned him into King Noah, who then interrogated him further. Right, So much so, as you know, the story ends, they basically burned Abinadi and chose to support King Noah. Well, as the story continues, the Lamanites came upon them. All of a sudden, there was this incredible fear, and all the people were fleeing for their lives. And remember what King Noah told the the men to do at that point, as the Lamanites were chasing and pursuing them and eventually started to overtake them? Here's this man that they had looked up to, that they had idolized, that they probably had posters of in their room, they wanted to be like, that they saw as being very wheat-like, very good in their lives. He commands them to leave their women and children and to flee with him, which sadly to say, many of the men do. Now, because, because they had this view of him, that's how they saw him. So they did that, a terrible thing. I can't even imagine what that must have been like or, or felt like for those children or their, their wives as they just watched their, their husbands, their fathers just run away and leave them there potentially to die as the Lamanites are, are coming upon them. Well, they finally get to a safe place and all of a sudden that guilt right starts to, to grow inside them when they realize what they've done. And now for the first time, those blinders start to come off. Those blinders that cause them to see King Noah as wheat suddenly are starting to shift. And it is a very terrible realization that they are now having. And in many ways, it's too late because a lot of the damage has been done. 
but now they see King Noah for who he really is. Which means they also, I'm sure at this point, started to now see Abinadi for who he really was. All of a sudden, this shift has happened, but it's too late for a lot of the the consequences now that will come as a result of this and the pain that they're going to have to go through that they wouldn't have had to endure had they just seen things correctly the first time. Now they see Abinadi as the wheat that he always was and King Noah, wicked King Noah, as the tear that he always was. And what do they do now with King Noah? Well, now they get it right and they burn him, although it's now too late to bring Abinadi back. And they go and they go back and try to make amends and you know the story continues from there. But the main point being this, had they seen those that were in their life correctly for the wheat that they were, they could have made some very important changes in their life that would have spared them from a lot of pain and suffering and consequences of poor choices. And young people, that's the message that I want to share with you today. Please, please, please make sure that you see those things and those people in your life as wheat, as wheat. And that those that are tares, make sure you see them as tares. And this is a wonderful principle to utilize when it comes to those people that you associate with, those places that you go, those things that you do. And if you want to really know how to tell the difference, one of the best things you can do is, like we talked about earlier, always keep a heart that is open and susceptible to receiving God's word and his spirit because it's his spirit that will really guide you to see correctly in your life those that are in your life. He will help you to see those that are wheat as wheat and those that are tares as tares so that you know what needs to be done with both. Maybe this would be a good point to just pause for a moment and have just another short discussion or journal just a little bit. Uh, This question, who are those that you know are wheat in your life? Who do you know is at the top of your list? And I hope you would put your parents. I hope you see them for who they really are. A lot of times I know as a young person, it can be easy to think that your parents are tares when they're really wheat. And that's normal for teenagers. But please, please, please see them for who and what they really are. Individuals that care deeply, deeply about you, that love you and that want the best for you and that will do everything in their power to help bring that about. They are some of the greatest wheat that God has placed in your life. It's worth considering what friends do I have that I know are wheat uh, in my life as well, that that care about me, that that want the best for me, that will help me, and maybe even sometimes tell me things that I don't want to hear because of how much they care about me. These are the kinds of people, among others, that you want to surround yourself with that will always help you walk the right path. Now, as, as a second point in observation, I know at times if there have been people in your life that you now know or can see a little bit better are more tear-like for you, that they're not the best for you. Sometimes getting rid of those or separating yourself from them can be hard. But please understand this principle as it relates to that situation. Doctrine and Covenants section 3, verses 7 through 8, is a great cross-reference that you can put next to this, this particular parable. Because in the Doctrine and Covenants, there's a point in time where Joseph was very concerned about losing one of his friends, who at the time was acting very much tear-like for him. This was Martin Harris, who was putting all kinds of pressure on Joseph to let him borrow the 116 pages that they had translated earlier. Joseph was told multiple times no by the Lord, but because of Martin's persistence and Joseph's fear that he would lose his friend, a friend that had supported him personally and financially to be able to do what he had done, he reluctantly gave those 116 pages to Martin Harris. And we know what happened. They were lost. 
This is one of the darkest periods of Joseph's life because he thought he had lost everything. Unbeknownst to him, God knew that this would happen thousands of years before, and he'd already kind of paved the way for the correction to be made. But he needed to also teach Joseph a valuable lesson. And in verses 7 and 8 of Doctrine and Covenant section 3, he points out that Joseph should not have feared man more than, than God, that God would have been there to support him in every time of trouble. Would have been a little scary to, to cut Martin out? Yes, for sure. Might he have lost potentially some financial funding and support that way? Absolutely. But God promised him, as he does all of us, that he would support us in every time of trouble. Joseph, I could have brought you more money. I could have brought you more friends. I could have done everything to take care of you and made sure that you had everything that you need if you would have just trusted me. Sometimes it could be a little scary to cut tear-like things or separate ourselves from tear-like things out of our lives. But the promise is that when we do that, that God will make sure to gather us together with those that are wheat-like because that's what he does, that's what he is doing, and that's what he will do for you. Now, the last thing that I'll have you mark today as we close is back in Luke chapter 13. If you want to just turn back there, this is a great verse to end with as it kind of fits into everything that we we're talking about. It's a, it's a great verse, um, two of them just at the very end, verses 34 and 35 of Luke chapter 13. You get a lot of the Savior's emotion coming out of these verses. There's a picture that depicts the Savior sitting on a hill overlooking Jerusalem, probably thinking about everything that he's trying to do, all the people there that he's trying to help, and how frustrated he must be because they're not receiving him. They haven't received the prophets that he sent to them. Because why? Well, they are having a problem seeing wheat for wheat and tares for tares. And he mentions to them in, in this verse, verse 34, and also expresses, I think, a lot of the emotion that's in his heart in it, when he says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, which killest the prophets, and stonest them that are sent unto thee. How oft I would I have gathered thy children together, as a hen doth gather her brood under her wings, and ye would not. Behold, your house is left unto you desolate, and verily I say unto you, ye shall not see me until the time come, when ye shall say, Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. You want to talk about the ultimate example of not being able to see clearly wheat for wheat and tares for tares. It was the Jews, the majority of the Jews, who missed seeing the Son of God even as he was standing right in front of them, who saw him more as a tare than they did as wheat and supported others like the Pharisees and Sadducees and even chose to release a criminal, a murderer, as opposed to releasing Christ, which then led to his crucifixion. You can't tell me that it's not easy to make that mistake because it happens all the time. It's happened throughout all of history, and it's one of the things that I am most scared about. I always want to be able to see clearly wheat for wheat and tares for tares. Again, young people, please don't make the mistake of burning the tares in your life when you really need to burn the wheat. Now, just a couple key questions to consider maybe and to journal this week as you uh, study uh, these particular chapters First one is this, what can you do to make sure that your heart is always open to receive the word of God? Second, what similarities are there between a broken heart and broken ground? Another question to consider is how might your afflictions, the challenges that you go through, actually be helpful in preparing your heart to receive the word? 
And then maybe, what does your membership in the church and having the gospel in your life mean to you? How about, how can you better see the wheat in your life for wheat and those that are tares as tares? And I think it's very valuable and worth considering what friends do you have that are in your life right now that you can see and consider to be wheat? And how have they been wheat-like for you? That's a great question to consider. And finally, I think if you listen closely to the Spirit, the Spirit will probably tell each of us right now some of the things, maybe even people that are in our life, that are tear-like, that He would have us separate ourselves from. And so my final question would be, what is in your life right now that God would have you separate yourself from? Who is in your life right now that He might have you separate yourself from so that you can be better yourself? Keep in mind that I think there needs to be a balance in that God intends for us to help and to lift others. The problem becomes when others start to bring us down instead of us lifting us up. So that's where we kind of balance that principle from. Now, as a couple application actions that you can do to apply this lesson, these principles to your life this week, first would be, what will you do today to better receive God, His prophets, and His word? What will you do to better follow and trust the counsel of those in your life that are wheat trying to help you to become the best that you can be? Or maybe you can pick one thing that is tear-like in your life, a poison that would be good for you to separate yourself from, and what will you do to do that? And then maybe one final thought. God allows for these things in the parable, he says, to grow together until the wheat is strong enough to be separated from the tares. And this concept goes along with his teaching that the best way to get what is bad out of our life is by focusing on increasing the good. So what is something that you will do to better increase the good in your life to overcome all that is bad? I think that's a wonderful way to approach change because where it's kind of human nature to want to, to just cut out all the bad, we may not be ready for that. The bad will take care of itself and fall out on its own the, the more that we focus on increasing the good and the better that we become. So that's the best place to focus a lot of our efforts uh, is, is increasing the light, increasing the good, increasing whatever brings Christ more fully into our life. Now that's all that I got for you this week. I hope that it's been helpful. I hope some of those things will be a blessing and help guide you young people, especially as it comes to the relationships that you have and that you engage in throughout your life. Because like it or not, those people that you associate with will have a tremendous impact on your life moving forward. I can't tell you how many times I have seen people follow a similar path as their friends. I was very fortunate in my life to, to be surrounded by friends that I absolutely consider to be wheat. And they helped me to become wheat-like myself because of that. And that's my hope for you as well, that you will surround yourself with those that are wheat. And above all else, keep in mind that the most important person that is wheat-like in your life that you need to keep in your life at all costs is Christ. Remember that the greatest yardstick of success is to see how closely we can walk each moment in His steps. And that that person is greatest and most blessed and joyful whose life most closely approaches the pattern of Christ. As always, this has nothing to do with earthly wealth, power, prestige, the only true test of greatness, blessedness, joyfulness is how close a life can come to being like the Master, Jesus Christ. He is the right way, 
the full truth and the abundant life. And he invites us all to come follow me. So let's follow him better this week because we will become better the more that we follow him. Until next week, everyone, I'm Josh Downs, and you've been listening to Come Follow Me for Teens.